Um, next Sunday, I want to give you kind of a heads up here. We have a special service planned, um, and it's going to focus on helping um, people who have had losses around the holidays. Now, maybe you've had a loss or maybe you haven't, but uh, if you haven't, you probably know someone who has had a loss. And with the holidays upcoming, we want to get ahead of that just a little bit. And uh, we want to prepare for that season. And uh, as we go through that next Sunday, I think it's going to be extremely helpful for people who maybe uh, have had some losses and the holidays are really a hard time, which is the truth for lots and lots of folks. Um, so if you've been through anything like that, hey, here at Hope, we, we totally, we get it. We know what that's like. We've lost uh, loved ones. We've lost leaders. We've lost uh, really key folks in the last few years. And so these holiday times can be hard. So if that's not you and you know someone that you think that would be great for them to come and be a part of that service, bring them along because this can be a really helpful time, uh, way to reframe the upcoming uh, holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and all of that good stuff. So that'll be next week. Uh, and then last week, uh, we did the Heart for Our City Day. And I mentioned earlier, we, we served our city and it was really an incredible time. I meant to have some photos up here. So those of you that were there, if you could send those to me, not right now, but you know, Send those to me. Um, I'd love to include that up on our, on our screen um, because it was really a, a cool, cool event that I'm looking forward to being involved in in future years as well. Now this week, um, we are going to look at the heartbeat of hope as it pertains to having a heart for the world around us. And I'm going to use a passage, a parable uh, from Matthew 25, and I'm going to summarize it because it's a little long to read the whole thing right now, but it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now, those of you that know this parable know that it can be a really in intimidating one because the first part of the parable, Jesus says that when the, when the Son of Man comes, when he comes, when Jesus comes back in all his glory, he's going to separate people's sheep from the goats. And on the side of the sheep, verse 34 says, he'll say to those on his right, the sheep, he'll say, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me, then verse 37 says, then a righteous will answer him, what, Lord, like when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty, give you something? When, when were you a stranger that we invited in or needing clothes and we clothed you? When were you sick or in prison and we went to see you? And verse 40 is the verse that I really want to keep coming back to this morning. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did, in fact, let's read this aloud together, verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, again, I wish we could spend the whole time like unpacking this parable. We'll do that another time. Because it's a little confusing and a little intimidating. The rest of this is like, okay, what about the goats, right? The sheep, you know, go to heaven apparently. Um, and the goats don't do so well. Um, and they're like, what? What's going on? Right? What, what happened, God? And, um, 
And sometimes people use this passage to be like, all right, Christians, you need to look more like a sheep, not a goat. And so you need to do this little checklist of things to make sure that you look like a sheep and not a goat. Because if you don't, then apparently you don't care. Or we might read the whole parable and the sheep on the one side and the goats and be like, oh my goodness, like I'm not doing enough for other people. I need to get busy and try harder to care more because I want to be a sheep, not a goat. And here's something that I've learned along the way. And we talk about this here at Hope. Listen, that kind of shame or guilt or manipulation, it just doesn't work. Like somebody could guilt or manipulate you into doing the right thing, maybe shame you or get you, you know, motivated for a while. Like it'd be like, okay, fine, I'll do that, I'll do that, right? And you'll do it for a while, but eventually we burn out. Like the whole motivation thing doesn't last when it comes from shame or guilt or should or ought. Because there's no joy in it. There's no joy and pressure to make people conform doesn't work for the long haul. It doesn't work for the long haul, which is actually really good news. Because you're not designed to be guilted into doing stuff, right? Um, And instead of feeling guilty being the motivation for why we would do something, we can allow passages and stories and parables like this, like the sheep and the goats, we can let it be a reminder to us of what following Jesus is intended to look like. Um, So you are invited as a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to make choices to live out of this compassionate heart that he has planted inside of you. So you don't have to go out and find this compassionate heart because my heart is wicked and evil and so bad. No, no, no. If you've been around here at Hope for any length of time, we don't believe that your heart as a believer is bad or wicked or evil because scripture says you've been given a new heart. You've been given a new heart. And so the very things that God asks us, invites us to do, it's stuff that you really want to do anyway. It's already planted inside of you in your good heart. So the truest you is even though maybe I struggle to want to feed the hungry, uh, take care of the thirsty, the stranger, the needy, the sick, the imprisoned, even if I don't do those things so well right now, it's not a complete uh, mystery. It's not, hey, we got to figure out a way to make it happen because it really is inside of our heart. And Jesus invites that heart to come out and play, to love, to serve. So it's not about trying to get your act together to just do the right stuff. You know, be a sheep, don't be a goat, right? But here's the deal. Again, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have received Christ into your life, if you're a Christian, you're a sheep. You are a sheep. And this parable is a great reminder of what sheep do and how sheep care for other people. Again, verse 40, which we're going to keep coming back to, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, I want you guys to take a couple minutes here, turn to the person next to you, um, the least of these, and, and just kind of ask the folks right next to you, two or three at the most, just um, what does Jesus mean by the least of these? So go ahead and chat amongst yourselves. Ready, set, go. No, you have to play too. Yeah, you have to turn around. Set. You're such a rebel. <laughs> you are the least of these. What's wrong with them, right? The least of these. Take about 30 seconds more if the other person hasn't had a chance to answer yet. 30 seconds more. (laughs) 
All right, give me some. Throw it out here on this side. Anybody here? What are the, what are the least of these mean over here? Anyone? Unseen. What's over here? Downtrodden. The downtrodden. Anybody else over here? Orphans and widows. Yes. Over here. Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Unsaved. The unsaved. The unseen. The unseen. Very good. How about over here? Anything over here? Any original thoughts yet over here? The marginalized. You have to look to Will to get the good big words. That's good. That's why I saved them for last. They're good. Mike, well, take Mike and then one more. Yeah. Amen. Anybody that's in need at any time. These are who Jesus means, all of these, by the least of these. And so a heart of compassion by followers of Jesus, that's one of the marks of a sheep, right? Um, and, and let me just be honest right up front here. Like, this is something that is still being formed and transformed in me. Like, I've not arrived. I got a long ways to go. That's no surprise to you, any of you that actually know me. Like, I am still being transformed into who Jesus created me to be. So reminders like this story and others in scripture, instead of reading them as a scolding, they're reminders of what can be and where I'm headed as I continue to walk with God and be formed and shaped. And that's true for you as well. Now, what I want to do this morning, because our theme is the heart for the world, a heart for the world, a heart for the world is our theme. And so I want to put some faces to the least of these, because the truth is we have big categories for the least of these, but it's easy for me to forget that the least of these each have a name. And the least of these are often children, especially children around our world. And these are children who were born with hopes and dreams. And I want you to check out this video here. In 2012, the Evangelical Covenant Church, World Vision, and the Covenant Church of Congo launched the Covenant Kids Congo Child Sponsorship Program in what was then the poorest country in the world. Thousands of children from the city of Gemina in Northwest Congo have since been sponsored. These are their bright hopes for the future. We asked these children, what is your hope for your life? Their bright hopes are coming to life. Work with the future generation of Congo. Sponsor a child. Host a Hope Sunday. I love what we see in that video. These are children who were born with hopes and dreams. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a builder. I have hope for my life. We get to hear these snapshots of what's true of their lives. And in our series here, The Heartbeat of Hope, we're in the middle of 
this series with uh, four weeks to go in it. But this week, again, I want to focus on what it means for us to have a heart for the world, for us to care for the least of these in other nations, which is part of having a heart for the world. Now, uh, here at Hope, we already have some different uh, missionary families that we support each month as a church. Uh, the Estazas are in Colombia, and they've been a longtime part of support from Hope. Uh, the Delt family, who visited us not that long ago, they are in Ecuador, and we support that family every month as well. Uh, Brandon, who did the announcement earlier today, the Hodge family, is our local missionary on, on the college campuses with InterVarsity. Um, so we have different missionaries that we support, and some of them are overseas when we think of having a heart for the world. But today I want to focus on another project that our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is involved with, and it's a partnership with the organization World Vision. And that partnership takes place where these kids that we just watched are from, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, it's related to this video, that's where that work is taking place. But I want to step back before talking specifically about that work very much. And I'm just aware when it comes to world missions, some people are, are skeptical, right? It's like we're kind of wondering like, eh. Like people have questions like, well, okay, fine, is that, or there's a lot of organizations, right? A lot of ministries or other organizations. But, you know, it's legit to ask, you know, hey, well, is that organization really doing good? Like, is it actually working what they're doing? Um, some people wonder, where does my money really go? Or with child sponsorship, you guys know what child sponsorship is? Where, where you, you sponsor a kid every month and, you know, you take that. Who, who has, like, a kid on a magnet up on their refrigerator? Anybody have one of those? There's a few of us, right? Yeah. Um, and so we, we look at those photos, though, and people... I used to work in an organization that did that, and they say, well, listen, are those kids actually real? Um, and how many sponsors are there? That's a really cute kid. They got to have like 20 sponsors, you know, that, are, that people just keep handing the packet out. And um, by the way, most organizations don't do that. There's one sponsor per kid. That's how it works. But I get it. When people have doubts, like I get it. We talk about world missions or having a heart for the world. Nobody wants to get scammed. And if you decide to give money towards sponsoring a child every month, you want to make sure it's a real thing, right? Yeah. I do anyway. I don't know about you guys. I do. Um, so I'm going to give you a little insider scoop. Um, just you guys can feel really special because I bet at all the churches in the covenant that are doing the covenant kids Congo, they're not getting the insider scoop. So you guys can feel really special today. Um, I worked for a year with Food for the Hungry, um, and my wife Heidi, she was at Food for the Hungry for 11 years until just recently, uh, and after I worked at that uh, organization, I was with another international relief and development agency called Reconciled World. You've heard me tell some stories about that as well, but all, both of those organizations worked in parts of the world where there was great poverty, a lot of poverty. And I learned a lot that I didn't know in my years as a pastor and as somebody, you know, wanting to advocate for global missions and outreach and relief and development. I learned a lot about the organizations I was in, but I learned a lot about other organizations as well, especially when I'd travel outside the country and hear what native people in other countries would say about the work being done by some other groups. And I'm just going to give you three quick lessons that I learned. Um, the first one's kind of a no-brainer, I would think, but... Um, first one that I think is really important for people to remember, when, if you decide to give money to a ministry, especially like a mi missions type ministry, make sure that they have accountability 
integrity, and an excellent reputation. Because some people are really good storytellers, but not so good about where the money goes or what they're doing with it or, you know. Um, and so that's why people get skeptical. Now, the groups I worked for were excellent in all of those regards, and World Vision, the group that we're partnering with through the denomination here in the Congo, World Vision is also excellent. They are very, very trustworthy. So they checked the box on the first one. Here's another thing that I discovered when I worked in this area of international ministry. Um, make sure that the help that you're giving is actually helpful and not just kind of enabling. And we could go deep on this rabbit hole, um, but let me illustrate it this way. So for example, let's pull it to a local context with our Serve the City Day yesterday. Uh, the house that we painted, we wanted it to be helpful help and not just enabling, right? And so the end of the day, the guy who's uh, kind of a mobile home that we painted uh, and another crew was out spreading granite there um, around the landscaping. But the guy came out at the very end when almost everybody was gone and said, wow, this is really incredible. And, uh, I, you know, I couldn't help out this year because of work and some of my vacation schedule. Um, but I see what's happening at my house and, and some of these other places around my neighborhood. And this is amazing. And so I am totally going to volunteer next year and help others out for sure, which is so awesome, right? Because here's a problem, and some of, you, some of you may have been in situations like this. If we just keep going back again and again and again to the same guy's house, doing stuff for someone who doesn't actually do anything to improve their life themselves, um, if someone just take, take, takes, and never takes action to improve their life, it gets old really quickly, right? It, it, like, it isn't helpful to constantly give, give, give to someone who isn't taking responsibility to improve their lives, is it? Do I just sound harsh? Like, does anybody agree? Like, okay, just making sure. I, I can be a little hard-hearted. I could be talked out of this, maybe. No, I couldn't. Um, so we don't want to enable people who just try to take advantage of other people's generosity. We want to give helpful help. And the money that comes in to the project here in the Congo is helpful help. It helps with clean water, education, medicine, agriculture, housing, jobs for parents, savings groups for mom and women, and much, much more. Uh, what they do is they don't just keep dumping in resources to offer relief. No, they're developing so that as the children get older, they can actually take responsibility and come completely out of poverty. That's what helpful help and not enabling looks like. And you'd be surprised because there's a lot of well-intentioned missions that does the other thing. So the third thing, here's the third thing that I learned in working in international relief and development ministry. In working in that field, um, and I'm going to say it this way, while it's tempting for us to just go and do stuff that makes us feel good about helping others, we need to remember that ultimately we want our help to actually benefit the people we are trying to help, right? It's not about us, it's about them. Does that make, yeah, right, okay, okay. Now, again, we go and serve and we do things out of a good heart and out of right motives. And for example, yesterday at Serve Our City, it did, it felt really good to help. There were some people that I was working with that, that apparently they didn't work that hard because they're like, wow, this feels really good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
It feels really good to help, like to see the before and after difference of just working for four hours as a team and the house that we worked on looked a thousand times better when we were done. It felt good to help. But sometimes we go in a good desire to help and it looks good and it makes us feel good about what we're doing, but we could maybe actually unwittingly make things worse even out of our good intentions. Um, I don't know if this is a great example, but for, this is what I thought of. Let's say that yesterday while we're serving this guy, we look at his yard that had a bunch of garbage, and so we, we actually tossed the stuff that he said we could toss into this dumpster that was in the street. Um, but what if we had thrown away something that he didn't want us to throw away, something that he needed? Like, like he had this kind of big junky doghouse, and, you know, honestly, his yard would look way better if we just get rid of that doghouse. So we think it would look better if it, the doghouse were gone. It would be a better photo op for us when it was gone. And so let's just throw away his doghouse. Who cares if it hurts him? Let's just toss the ugly doghouse, right? Yeah, no, we would not want to. Do, we didn't do that, by the way. Um, we just moved it, that's right, yeah, right. With permission, yeah. Uh, but um, that would be totally backwards, right? That would be about us and our opinions and our feeling good, even if it hurt the other person. And again, this might sound far-fetched, but when I worked at Reconciled World and at Food for the Hungry, I learned some kind of, I guess, sort of insider-ish stuff about some things that Americans did overseas um, that actually made things worse for the village that they were trying to help. And it was even more embarrassing because sometimes I remembered back in my own life and history, me, even with my cross-cultural missions education background, me doing some of those same things that later I learned, oh, oh, wow, that was not a great thing. Now, before I go into this, you guys want me to shoot straight with you, right? Is that okay? S some, some of you do, yeah. I, I thank you. Yes, Mike. I, I always do my best to. You know, some people say they appreciate that I don't tiptoe around some things. They say that until I step on their toes, and then they're ticked. So, um. But back when I worked in this field, people used to ask me, um, hey, Doug, so what's the difference between, you know, I don't know, Food for the Hungry or Compassion or World Vision are kind of the big ones, or, you know, Samaritan's Purse, Feed My Starving Children, all that stuff. And because the people that I was supervised by, my bosses in those ministries, they were really kind people. They didn't want to say unkind things about other organizations or about those approaches. I was a church rep that wasn't supposed to say those things to the pastors who were asking me those questions um, about these other approaches, even though I kind of knew some stuff and had even seen some stuff from being in the field where that work landed. But... Um, so I wasn't supposed to say anything, so, but guess what? I don't work for them anymore, right? So <laughs> here you go. I can say whatever I want. Okay. So here, here's, here's the truth. Um, it's hard because I've done these things wrong myself in the past. Some popular approaches that make us feel really good about helping are not actually helpful. And one big example that was kind of a shock to me is like the shoebox thing that happens at Christmas, right? Everybody loves a shoebox. We feel good. I've done it a bunch of times. We go to the store. We buy the stuff that's on the list. We bring our shoebox into the church. I've done it a bunch of times. Um, I worked at big churches where we would have, I'm not kidding, thousands of shoeboxes piled up. It looked good and it felt good. Um, and so it was good for us, maybe. Um, but sadly, I learned that it's not usually good for the people that we think that we're blessing. 
and I could go way into this and I won't, but just one example. Um, and this one's not that terrible, but, but how about the African kid who gets a box of American toys and has no idea what to do with it? Um, it was almost humorous. I think it's kind of humorous, but there was a picture of this one kid I saw. He got his shoebox, he opened it up, and it was a slinky. It was a slinky, so he couldn't figure... He thought maybe it was a weird American necklace. So that's how he wore it. Lots of other stuff is kind of cheap junk that just breaks. Um, and maybe that's like, eh, whatever, okay, fine. Um, but, you know, I liked that shoebox thing until somebody burst my bubble when I found out how lots of shoeboxes get dropped off in a village near Christmas time intended to be a blessing, but it can unwittingly destroy the fragile, already fragile, local economy. So imagine being a shopkeeper or someone who's making toys or selling toys, or you've got a little roadside stand, and Christmas is coming, and you've been making stuff or have bought some stuff to be able to resell in your village, uh, and suddenly the great white American Santa Claus shows up with a bunch of shoeboxes... And now you can't make ends meet because a bunch of stuff has flooded the local economy. And in fact, sometimes those hardworking merchants or the person that has just trying to survive with their little lean-to store, when that comes in, now they can't really feed her family. Um, unintended consequences, but way more common than I wish was true. In fact, there are people who work for that organization who admit that they know it doesn't actually help the people on the receiving end of these shoeboxes. But, and this is the part that was so hard for me to hear, um, they said it's our best high visibility promotion tool to get attention from people in the USA because as one missionary observer who these shoeboxes would get delivered to her, um, her village in the Middle East, she said it seemed like they were more interested in doing something that felt good to the Americans than actually doing good for the people here. So that stuff can be frustrating, right? And I'm sorry if I burst your bubble, uh, if that's your thing. And don't worry, mine was burst a while ago. I was bummed because I liked how it looked. Like, I loved taking Noah when he was little, and we'd go get the stuff, and we'd pack a shoebox. Um, but I had to finally realize that my good intentions didn't actually help the people. In some places, it actually would hurt the village. So I think we have to really be careful because we can't all be experts in this field of relief and development, can we? But we, so we could use the excuse, well, I don't trust anybody, or, or we could, with humility, trust some organizations that are being vetted by people that we trust, uh, which is the case with World Vision and our partnership through our denomination because there are organizations who have the experience, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the integrity that we can work with. Like, we can't just shut that off and say, oh, we can't trust anybody. No, no, no. There are ministries that we can trust. There are ministries that actually go in not to just give stuff to people, but they are trying to empower local economies and people groups. Um, partnerships like the Covenant Church has with World Vision in the Congo that's one of those trustworthy organizations. Now, a friend of mine, Greg Krieger, he pastors Rock Harbor Covenant Church in uh, California. He went to the Congo uh, not that long ago to check out the work that's being done through Covenant Churches who are partnered in the Congo. And so let's just check out the video of what my friend Greg had to say. Gemina is a city in the Democratic Republic of Congo that is experiencing truly wonderful transformation 
through your faithfulness to Covenant Kids Congo, powered by World Vision. Greg Krieger is the pastor of Rock Harbor Covenant Church in Rockland, California. Greg, his wife Sharon, and Greg's church have invested deeply in God's work in Congo through both Covenant Kids Congo and other covenant ministries serving in Congo. This is Greg's experience of the fruit of the partnership with the wonderful people of Congo that we call Covenant Kids Congo. Good morning. Here we are, last day uh, in Gemina on the way out. What a week it's been. Hey, I've seen a lot this week. Uh, I've, I've seen uh, agricultural groups and savings groups of women who've been empowered and are leading their families and transforming the communities. I've seen what they can do with buying a pig, which turns into buying a bike, which turns into buying a roof for their homes and caring for their families. Uh, I've seen our, our schools everywhere along the way um, reaching hundreds and thousands of children. Uh, I've seen teachers uh, being taught by others, programs being instituted to help continue to improve the education and the health care, uh, helping families learn how to care for, for themselves, have healthy diets, um, and, and, and beat this thing called malnutrition. I've seen the difference our support is making on the ground. First day we were here in Congo, I had an opportunity to meet with my sponsored child, Dawili. I, I wish I could say it was all fun and love and smiles, but it was hard. It was hard to see how small my eight-year-old young friend actually is. It was hard to see that his twin sister was of the same size. Over these last three years, I've come to love Dawili. I've come to know his story. But on this trip, I was able to enter into his world in a way like never before. It's not an easy world, it's a hard world. But it's a world where God is on the move. He's writing his story into their lives. What a privilege it is for us to be a part of that story. For those of you that are already supporting Covenant Kids Congo through World Vision, hey, keep it up. We, we, we are we off to a great start. We just have to keep pressing pressing on. And, and for those who aren't yet there, hey, I, I just want to challenge you. Why not? What does that mean? That means some of us who are already on board, hey, we're probably positioned to take on a little more. For some of us that are wondering if, if this is where God is calling you, I would just say, unless God says he's not, if your last name says Evangelical Covenant Church, God is calling you. This, these are our people. Uh, it's our, our shared denomination. It's our sisters across the sea. Let's care for them. Uh, let's reach the goal. Let's help transform Congo. That I think it's really amazing that we who live here don't actually have to go there to make a difference um, because our denomination and many, many, many hundreds of covenant churches are partnering in on this project and are seeing things change radically, radically in what was when we started the poorest country, the poorest area in the world is already making great Strides. It's incredible to see what God is doing because not only are the kids being helped and given really practical benefits like food and clothing and education, but they are getting an opportunity to learn about Jesus and his love for them. See, when Jesus talked about the least of these, Jesus means the people who are the vulnerable people, the marginalized, as Will said, the marginalized people in our world. 
And, and sadly, the most vulnerable are often children in our world. In fact, worldwide, children account for nearly half of those who live in extreme poverty. Children are the ones who bear the brunt of the effects of war and disease, and they often have no voice to speak up against the injustices that they endure. But again, here in the Congo, that's being shifted. It's being changed because of churches and people like you and like me. And so we wonder, some people would wonder, okay, well, how is it funded? Like our denomination must have just a big bunch of money that they go in and fund it with. Uh, and that's not the case. The way that the work is being funded is through individuals in congregations who sponsor children. And that's the good news, that you and I actually can individually get involved. It's fun to do something together, but this is pretty incredible because the great thing about our partnership in the Covenant Kids Congo is that it's not just a big, wide organizational, it's a personal thing, right? It's personal between you and a child or me and a child. And so when Jesus appeals to us and appeals to our heart to take care of the least of these and, and to care for the least of these, he's not just inviting us to, to feel something, he's inviting us to do something. And when you and I do something, when we sponsor a child, we, we give of our well-earned income to a child that we know is in need, but we don't just do that. We actually get to share lives with them. Now, some people would, immediately, my question is always, okay, so what's this cost, right? Um, well, let me think of it this way. When I went out with a pastor friend uh, this week for lunch, it cost us almost 40 bucks um, to have lunch. It was more expensive than I was planning on uh, uh, going for lunch. But, um, but when Heidi and I go out for dinner, uh, we, I'm a cheapskate and we often share a meal, but um, it's not uncommon to spend around $40 and that's the cost every month of sponsorship. So if Heidi and I just go to, out to a restaurant maybe one time less than we already do, and we don't go a ton, but... Um, that would take care of that $40. $40 a month, it's $1.33-ish per day. And um, think about how much does your Starbucks, your favorite Starbucks drink cost? How much is yours? Mine's like five-ish bucks or so. Anybody? Anybody just drinks the coffee? How much is that one? Right. 280 There you go. You know that one, right? So we kind of know the price point of our, of our you know, Starbucks drink, but... but and I know I'm messing with our addictions when I mess with Starbucks here, right? <laughs> but, but can we just make that cup of coffee at home a couple times a week so that you can afford to make all the difference in the world for the life of a child in the Congo? Because here's the truth. For me not to eat out, you know, once or twice a month, it's not going to make a big difference, right? I'm going to be okay. I mean, <laughs> I've got plenty here to live on, but... Uh, but, but think about it this way. It doesn't make a difference to me that much, but it can make all the difference in the world to a child in Congo. And it's not just a financial commitment where, okay, just send your money to this child. Um, when you sponsor a child, you are relationally connecting with them to pray for that child, to send letters from time to time to encourage them and their family, and, and you'll get letters back as well. I mean, I always think it's pretty amazing how a child can bridge kind of these cultural gaps, this global divide, and bring unity to us as the body of Christ around the world, because God uses children, and he uses child sponsorship that way as well. 
And so maybe that's why it's no surprise that when Jesus said in Matthew 25, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me, is because his heart is close to them in relationship. He's close to them in their suffering. And in that parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus invites us to do something about it. Now, to give us a picture of a real kid in the Congo, I want to share the story of a little girl named Deborah. Uh, right before we close here, just check out this uh, short video.
love that phrase, change a, li- a change a child's life and transform your own. See, because by sponsoring a child, you will change their life. And I can tell you from personal experience, you will transform your own life as well. Like one of my favorite transformation stories of how sponsorship transformed a life is the story of a woman. She was a newer Christian. She was in her late 30s. She'd been in the mortgage business for 20 years. She was a manager for Chase Manhattan here in Phoenix. But she quit that job, partially because sponsoring a child had really gotten her attention about issues of poverty. So she quit her job in the Chase Manhattan mortgage manager business area. And she went to work fighting poverty all around the globe for 11 years. And again, one of the things that moved her in that direction was sponsoring a child. And her life was transformed beyond anything that she could have imagined. Oh, and that woman's name is uh, Heidi. That's my wife. Yep. And lots of you maybe have sponsored a child as well. And if you do, you know that your life can be transformed because now um, we start paying attention to what's going on in other countries or in other part of the world that maybe we wouldn't pay attention to otherwise. And, and we start to pray for the child and pray for their nation. We get letters from the child and write letters and we develop this relationship over the mail with the child, which transforms our own hearts. And our heart for the world then is deepened. And so with the Covenant Kids Congo, child by child, we're making a difference in the future of this part of the world, and you can make a difference as well in the life of one more child, and it will. It will transform their life and yours. Worship team, will you you come? When you leave today, the... uh, When you leave today, um, there's going to be a table out in either the lobby or on the patio. Uh, There'll be a big giraffe on it. That's how you'll know where it is, right? Um, And there'll be these packets on these tables, and it's an opportunity for you to sponsor a child. Now, listen, I used to work for another organization like this, and when you sponsor a child with World Vision, there is one sponsor per child. Like each of the kids on the table, all these pictures is a real child. It's been verified and checked. And, but this is the only packet out there right now for that child. So um, I want to make it super clear. If you take the packet, you need to sponsor the child. Like don't take it home and then lose it on the desk because then it'll be a few months before they realize, oh, nobody picked that one up and the child continues to wait. Um, so... When we leave, in just a moment, I'm going to ask that you would, in fact, fact, right now as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to use it as a moment of prayer. We'll have you stay seated um, and consider, just pray uh, for God to direct you what to do. Um, Will you join in? Will you share God's love with these beautiful kids who are made in God's image? They're, They're kids that he loves very, very much. And as Jim and the worship team play this song, let the words of this song be our prayer as you consider joining this fight for the hearts of these kids and reflecting the love of God and his heart for the people of our world.